Good morning. I got some more good news for you. Get your Bible turned to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, it's not going to sound like good news when we start, but hang on, it'll get better, okay? There's always hope. Good to see all of you today. I want to remind you before I go any further, those of you that are members, uh, annual business meeting is the 10th of February on a Wednesday night. If you can't be here, we want to make special provision for you. Uh, there is a table that's set up out there, and when you leave today, go by. You can register. You can uh, cast your ballot there for we're vote, vote, vote for one deacon, and we're also voting on a constitution and bylaws. Um, go by there. You can cast that ballot. Several people have already done that. And uh, if there's a chance that you might not be able to be at the meeting, we, we need you to establish that quorum. So make sure that you go by and, and take care of that for us today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, follow peace with all and holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord. That verse can be frightening for this reason. It says that without holiness, we won't see the Lord. You see, are you reading that same thing I am? You see that? That verse says without holiness, we will not see the Lord. That means we won't see him. We won't see him now in our, in our daily lives. And that the one that, th- that, that frightens us more than that is we take that to mean Man, without holiness, we're not going to get to heaven. We're not going to see God in eternity. And, and if we don't go to heaven, then that's true. We wouldn't see the Lord forever. That, along with uh, brimstone and fire, is called hell. But there's some good news here. Now, initially... I'm struggling when I read this because I see it says that without holiness, I won't see the Lord. So I, am, I immediately think to myself, well, I'm trying to be holy. Anybody else? Anybody here trying to be holy? Wave at me if you're trying. You're trying to be holy. I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be sanctified. Amen. And then there's that misconception about sanctification where man in his trying to get good enough to somehow appease God so that God would let him into heaven. Over the years, man has done a lot of things to burden himself down. And a lot of people are carrying weights on their shoulders that I don't think they ought to be having to carry. If you study church history, you could see throughout the ages where that every time that people felt like that they couldn't get good enough, they started doing something to themselves to somehow make them seem better to God. You study church history, you see some places where that they, they would beat themselves with whips. They would crawl on their hands and knees. They would do all, they would stand one. I remember studying about one guy or or a sect of people that actually stood on the top of poles 
They punished themselves standing on a pole because they thought by punishing themselves they were denying their flesh and in some way God would look at that and it would be some way counted to them as a good deed that they punished themselves. They were trying to punish themselves enough so that God would be like, okay, that's enough, that's good, you've hurt yourself enough. And God, and instead, I think God's looking at it saying, what are y'all doing? That's ridiculous. This is nuts. You think you're going to look better to me by beating yourself with a whip? I don't think you look better. I think you look stupid. And in other circles, we looked upon that and thought those people are foolish. We would never be so dumb as beat ourselves with a whip. We're just going to tell everybody how to dress. We're not going to be so nuts to make people stand on a pole. We're just going to say, thou shalt not wear shorts. You say, that's crazy. I'm telling you, back in the day, that's how it was. When I was a kid, my nickname was Whitey. Because I played basketball my whole life. I played on a traveling team when I was fourth grade, you know. I lived in, in Alpena, and they played basketball. I'll take it serious. It's like the Hoosier State, you know. We had a bag, traveling bag on a bus and everything. We traveled. We traveled in fourth grade representing our school. But I was the preacher's kid and I couldn't wear shorts because it was a sin. So the only time I could wear shorts was during the game because you can imagine what my legs look like. So my nickname was Whitey. But we were holy. Whitey and holy. I remember going to a, a service, a youth service one night. And this man stood up. He meant well. He was a great guy. And I loved him. But he stood up and he preached a message. And in the message, he was trying to, to tell these young people that they needed to live a godly and a holy, sanctified life. And so he decided to talk about a dress code. And he said, I want you kids to know something. He said, when I was in high school, I ran track. And he said, and I was fat. He said, in fact, I took third in state. And he said, and I'll let you know something. You don't have to drop your guard and you don't have to, you don't have to uh, submit to the, the worldly things in order to do it. He said, I took third wearing jeans. And I thought, if you'd have put some shorts on, you might have won first. You were out there running in jeans? Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but I played with some kids as a, when I was little. They loved Jesus like we did. But 105 degrees, those kids were outside with me in long sleeve shirts trying to play baseball. They were trying to be holy. They even put it in the name of their church. This is what this church is all about. I'm not picking on any denomination. I'm not telling anybody that we should not try to be modest or that we shouldn't, that we shouldn't try to. We, we all understand that, don't we? Where I'm going here with this is that every time that man thinks he can't get good enough, he tries to figure out another way to make himself look better to God. And since we couldn't beat ourselves with whips, some people just said, okay, let's just, let's just put bondage on people by the way they dress. You don't dress right. You don't smell right. You're going to hell. Everybody was going to go to hell. Do you remember that? Everybody's going to hell. Everybody's going to hell every Sunday. Every time you left church, you're like, I don't know if, I don't know if any of us are going to, if the Lord comes today, I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know if any of us are good enough today to make it. After that message, I'm just not sure. That, I mean, 
You know, you pick out the person in the room that you think is the closest to God. And you leave that day and you're saying, I don't know, man. I, if the Lord comes today, I, I, I just don't know. And, and, we, and, we, and we lived our lives personally that way. Where we would say, man, if I, you know, I put together four good days here. I hope the Lord comes right now. Because on the fifth day, maybe you said a bad word. You're like, oh God, I hope he don't come today. I had four good days and I had one bad one. I hope he don't come on the bad one. Because the preacher said, if you, if you die with sin in your heart, you'll split hell. I don't just mean you go. You'll split it wide open. Hell split wide open has got to be bad. Because hell in itself is really, really bad. I mean, we're talking, seriously, I'm not making fun of that. Flames, sulfur, eternal torment. And then you got some poor sucker who was driving 56 in a 55. He wrecked his car and he split hell wide open. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Yet a lot of people are living under that kind of bondage. Man, I hope that I, I hope the Lord comes on a day that I'm doing right. Because if he ever comes on a day that I'm having a bad thought. I, I said this in the first service. There was times when you was a kid. That, that, that because you, you, you knew all this, you lived with all this, you'd be right in the middle of cussing somebody out and you have to stop, call a timeout and repent because the Lord might come. You say, I'll get back to cussing you in a minute, but right now i got to repent because I don't want to go to hell over this. You're with me, right? Some of you are kind of confused. Preach about to tell us we can live in sin and it's okay? No, absolutely not. Paul said, absolutely not. What does the word say about this? Because I'm right now knowing I'm in trouble. I mean, I'm in trouble here. I, 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 I'm like you. I can, I can usually put together, sometimes I can put together a couple of good weeks even. I've been around long enough. Sometimes I can even put together a pretty good couple of weeks. Right? And then there comes that day. Say something, think something, do something. And I'm not holy again. Boy, I hope you don't come, Lord, because I'm not holy. I'm trying to get holy. I'm trying to make myself holy. I'm trying to punish myself from things so that I can look holy. Right? Wave at me if you're still out there. Got your attention yet? Is, is this where anybody lives? What am I going to do? Hebrews 10.10 10 says, this is it. I wish you let this get in your spirit. So we are made holy because Christ. Before I go any further with the verse, I want you to hear that. Up in the 14, 12, 14 said that without holiness, I won't see the Lord. I'm panicking. I'm in trouble. What am I going to do? Hebrews 10, 10. So we are made holy because Christ. This says something to me that takes a lot of pressure off. I'm not going to get holy. I'm not ever going to get good enough to get and stay holy enough. 
It's impossible in me. But the word said, I am made holy because Christ obeyed God and offered himself once for all. Today we're talking about by one sacrifice. By one sacrifice. Now, if you've been hanging around over here the last few weeks, you know we're in a series. And we started several weeks ago, and this all works together now. We started several weeks where we said, nothing is impossible for God, remember? And we established that God can do anything, but that nothing is impossible for God, which means he can't do nothing. Nothing's impossible for God. He's got to do something because he's an act of God. But nothing is impossible for God except for him to do nothing. And because nothing is impossible for God, somehow I can be made holy. So we went the next week and we said, Jesus is enough. And we said in that one that Christ is all. It is finished. I add nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So we said, okay, I need to get holy. I don't know how I'm going to get holy, but nothing's impossible for God. And Christ is all, and I add nothing. And then last week, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there's hope, it looks like, because all things are Christ things, Christ being all. Nothing's impossible for God. Jesus is enough. I can't add anything. And I can, do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he's the enough Jesus, the more than enough Jesus. How is he going to do that? By one sacrifice. He's going to do that by one sacrifice. Because he was the sinless and perfect sacrifice. He makes me holy. I don't make myself that way. I can't make myself that way. I want you to look at this, Hebrews 10. Look at verse 11. It said, the priests do their work each day and they keep on offering sacrifices. Are you watching? That can never take away sins. Yet they're still offering no sacrifices. It's talking about in the Old Testament. Because until... Until that time, people are being pointed to the cross. Now we're looking back to the cross. People that were saved before the time of Jesus were saved by obeying the law and by having a righteous heart. They, they didn't know Jesus like we know Jesus to believe upon Jesus. So they're being saved by a multitude of sacrifices. Sacrifices, by the way, that don't forgive them. Millions and millions of sacrifices were offered before Jesus was a sacrifice. And all those sacrifices ever did was get man by. You with me? So people lived their lives this way. Mom and dad sitting around the table. One of the kids come home from school. One starts telling on the other one. He got in trouble. He got in a fight in school. He cussed somebody out. Flipped off a teacher and got kicked out of school. You say, that's a bad kid. Well, I ran with that kid. That's the kind of kid. I, <laughs> so back in the Old Testament, dad said, well, all right, that's it. Let's go out and see if we got a bullock. What's this one call for? Two, two turtle doves and a, and a pigeon. And make sure somebody goes and gets some flour. 
And we got to have, and, 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 and then you get down there to the temple. It'd be like the DMV. You start trying to, to get your car license and they say, okay, but you forgot this. And you're like, mm. and you got to go home and find assessment or so, you got to go find something. Remember all those days? What a drag. How many people love to go to the DMV? Man, let's, let's go to the dentist and get our teeth pulled without anesthetic before we go to the DMV. Right? So you're standing in line at the DMV and you, and you got all your stuff and you're nervous. You're like, oh man, I don't want to be rejected. I hate this. I just got, no, I was number 14 and, and they were on 87. And I've been here since 4.30 this morning and it's 12 o'clock tonight. Right? And then you get there and you're just nervous. You put your stuff down you're like, oh Jesus, let it all be here. Let it all be here. Because if it's not, I got to go and got to do this again. You know what it would have been like having to live under the old law? Oh, what is it this time? What'd you do? Go get a lamb without blemish. Make sure you bring the spices. And What do you got? Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm not making fun of it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Can you imagine what it would have been like living under the old law? And yet everything you bring is never enough. The altar down at the temple is covered in blood. It's so, the blood is so deep. They're sacrificing thousands and thousands of animals down there every day. Millions of sacrifices have been made for the sins of mankind. And all it did was get them by until... One sacrifice was made. The perfect sinless sacrifice on the altar changed everything. Now there was no need for ever a sacrifice again. In fact, when Jesus looked at, or when the father looks at this, he looks at his son and he says, it's enough. Jesus is enough. And the, and the curtain in the temple rips and man gains asset, access to the holy place of God where he'd never been before. The holy of holies. Man didn't go in there. Only the priest went in there once a year. But now the temple curtain is ripped and now we can go in any time into the holy of... Go, here we, where are we going? Into the holy of holies. But we're not holy. You Listen to this. You struggle with something, yet you can go into the Holy of Holies anytime you want. Why? There was a sacrifice that was made that was really, really important. By one sacrifice. Back to Hebrews 10, 11. The priests do their work every day. They keep on offering sacrifices that can never take away sin. But Christ offered himself as a sacrifice that's good forever. And now he is sitting at God's right side. And he'll stay there until his enemies are put under his power. That brings me to our text. You say, I thought you'd been preaching for 10 minutes. That wasn't your text. This is our text. That was our foundation. Hebrews 10, 14. 
by his one sacrifice, he has forever set free from sin the people he brings to God. The Holy Spirit also speaks of this by telling us what the Lord said. When the time comes, I will make an agreement with them. I'll write my laws on their minds and hearts. Then I will forget about their sins and no longer remember their evil deeds. So God begins a covenant with man. In the Old Testament, it's a covenant of the law. And they have to take the sacrifice, guys. And they, they, they take a sacrifice, and they, it's brutal. They take this animal, and they cut it. And they take these, 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 these animals, and they cut them in half, and they, they lay them in half, and then they, 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 I can't explain it all, but they've got this, this burning incense in this thing, and they walk through between this, this, the, the sacrifice. They're walking in between it. It was a brutal thing. And then God says, I'm going to establish a covenant with man one time so we don't do this anymore. But there's just only one person that is good enough for me to make this deal with man through, and that's Jesus. Jesus, who is God, he is God's son, is crucified. And the way between the parts are made for me and you. Jesus fulfills the demands of the covenant by his work on the cross. And it was just one sacrifice is all that it took. This is now what, what the Holy Spirit weighs in to tell us. This is how God, what he has done to ensure your holiness for you. Because remember, you can't attain it yourself. Am I right? Is there anybody here that is able to attain and maintain holiness? Has anybody figured that out? If you are, I'm going to yield the mic and let you take it from here because you, we need to hear from you far more than we need to hear from me. I, I'm trying to talk to imperfect people like me. But if there's somebody here that has attained holiness, figured out how to maintain it, and is righteous and almighty at all times, I would love for you to come and take this mic. Otherwise, for all the rest of us, God has done something to ensure our holiness for us because we couldn't do it for ourselves. Look at verses 15 to 17. He said that in order to do that, to make you holy, because you can't get holy. So to make you holy unto himself, he will, number one, write him down. He will write his laws on your mind. Before the time of Christ, everybody lived by the book. Well, we still do. We still live by the commands of the book. Because even though a lot of people don't want to acknowledge it, the laws we live by are based on the Bible. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not lie. Am I right? So until that time, everybody's living by the letter of the law and bringing the sacrifice. Then Jesus comes to die. We can be set free. All we have to do is believe upon the sacrifice and repent of our sins, right? And then holiness starts happening in us. This process of sanctification starts happening in us. And those of us who could not figure out how to get holy, all of a sudden, God is making us holy. First, by writing that law that we were trying to live by, letter, by instead writing it in our mind. He uses the word inscribed. He inscribes his words on our mind. So now what happened is the person that is a believer 
hang on, follow with me here. A person who is a believer is all of a sudden knowing the commands of God. What's that mean? When I was living in the world, I didn't care about what was right and wrong. I made bad and wrong decisions all the time. But ever since I gave my heart to Christ and the Holy Spirit has begun to live in me and start inscribing his words on my mind, now I can't sin anymore without being repentant because I know that I've sinned. I don't even carry the Bible around. I don't even carry a big old book around to see. I don't have to anymore, though I'm in that word all the time, reading that Bible all the time. I'm not telling you not to. What I am saying to you is this. Once you truly become a believer and God begins to inscribe his word in your mind, you will know when you sin. God, now what are we trying to do? We're trying to figure out God is making us holy. How is God going to make me holy? I can't get myself holy enough. God's going to make me holy because he's going to put his word in my mind so now I will know when I have sinned. Unbelievers don't care about that. This is how you can tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Some people call themselves a Christian, but they're not a Christian because that what I just said isn't true in their life. If you still want to do wrong, if you still don't care when you sin, you're not a Christian. Doesn't that explain a lot? Because when you become a believer, you want to live for Jesus and you know when you mess up because the word is being inscribed in your mind by the Holy Spirit and he says to you, oh, you just messed up. That's called conviction. We all hate conviction, but conviction is awesome. It's what keeps us right. Unbelievers don't live with conviction because they're unbelievers. Christians know the truth and are miserable when they sin. Make sense? It's a process of God making us holy by putting his word in our mind. And secondly, he will write his words upon our heart. So here's what happens. Now it's not just a knowing, now it's a feeling. I feel convicted. Oh, I wish this message would get done so I could get out of here. You ever been there? Man, I wish he'd quit giving this altar call. Whoa, shut up, man. Just let me go. Right? Hanging on to the pew. Feeling conviction. Because God has written his laws in your mind and your heart. What did Jesus say was the greatest of all the laws? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? And love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, and you can hang all the rest of the law on those two. Did he say you can throw them away? No. We still need those laws for who? Unbelievers. Because they don't think and know. So we got to tell them not to kill each other. But believers, we don't have to tell them not to kill each other anymore. Because they love their neighbor as their self. And they feel empathy for other people. And they don't want to steal or cheat or lie. Because it will hurt someone else. The law of God has been written in their heart. How are you going to make me holy, Lord? He said, I'm going to get your mind right. I'm going to get your heart right. I'll give you the mind of Christ. I'll give you the heart of Christ. Isn't that good stuff? I'm going to write my laws so that you fulfill conviction in ways that you did not. And then thirdly, I will forget about your sins and your evil deeds. 
Those are your offenses and your violations. He says he no longer remembers or holds them against you. Wow. How about that? Is that cool? Well, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he hold them against us? And why does he forget them? Why is it that he does that? Or how is it that he can? I'm going to show you something in the the scripture here in a minute. Y'all are doing really well because you're hanging in there. But you need to hear this. Somebody's going to get set free this morning because you've been carrying a load of bondage for a long time, either as an unbeliever or as a Christian who's been weighted down by, by something that somebody tried to put off on your shoulders. Some of y'all been carrying the sacrifice around on your back for years. You've been carrying the bull on your back just in case you sin so you'd have it there that you could sacrifice. It's time to get out from underneath that weight. He's no longer going to remember your sins or hold them against you. Why? He said he's figuring it this way. Once he gets your mind and he gets your heart. He won't have to worry about you no more. Because every time you mess up, you're going to be the first one to repent. And you don't need another sacrifice. There's not a better one. There'll never be a different one. You don't need another one. The one that the one that did what he did already did what he did. And there's nothing else can be done. Nothing could ever be more powerful. You don't need another sacrifice. What you need to do is heed the Holy Spirit who is convicting your mind and your heart. When you can when you heed the conviction of the mind of the heart, then your body is going to fall follow because your knees are going to hit the ground. And let me ask you a question. We're about to start wrapping this up. But I want to ask you this question. How arrogant or self-centered could we be to think that our sins could possibly be more powerful than God's own shed blood? Let me illustrate that for you. Because over the years, I've heard people in the altar when I was praying for them, I've heard people say, Pastor, they're crying. They're saying, Pastor, God can't forgive me. I've been too bad. And I laugh. And I have to be careful because I don't want to laugh in their face. But I have to keep it back because in my mind I'm thinking, I'm about to tell you something that you just don't understand. You think God can't forgive your sin? Hang on a minute. God could take the sin of all seven billion of us that are here right now and all the billions that lived before, including every genocide, atrocity, rape, murder, and act of violence, all coupled together, put them all in one big ball, and they could not even get close to being as powerful as the sacrifice shed blood of Jesus. So you're going to say to me, you being this, you represent this between these fingers. Here's you. And here's God. You're going to tell me that you could be so bad that he can't forgive you. How arrogant are you? How self-centered are you? And that's why I laugh when I hear those things. God could never forgive me, Pastor. I've been too bad. Oh, my lands. Are you kidding me? The blood of Jesus covers. The blood of Jesus is the one sinless perfect sacrifice that sufficed for any and all and every sin that man could ever fathom or think up. You can't out the forgiveness of God. I'm not talking to believers now. I'm talking to sinners. Because believers won't want to live in sin. If they want to live in sin, they never were saved. 
If you've become a new creature in Christ, you don't want to sin anymore because it's written on your mind. It's written in your heart. You don't want to do damage to yourself or another individual. You're trying to live for the Lord. You're trying to do what is right. And every time you sin, you're convicted and you pray about it and you move on. But to the person who doesn't care about those things, it means they have not come to that place in their life. That's what I think. You're saying, well, that's kind of scary because, you know, I really do feel like I've asked the Lord to come into my heart, and yet I still do want to commit some sins. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You guys over here, you know what? Until you get married, parents close your ears for a minute, you're going to want to sin every once in a while. And that doesn't mean that you're a sinner. That means that you're normal, and, that, and you still need to don't do all that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to give you your your class from school. I'm just going to tell you straight up, don't do all that. But wanting to commit those kinds of sins doesn't make you a sinner. So I'm saying that you can be a person who loves Jesus and serving the Lord, and you still want to do something wrong every once in a while, and you're still saved. I understand that. I'm talking about the person, though, who lives in sin, likes sin, is not convicted by sin, doesn't care how it affects somebody else, doesn't give a rip about somebody else's feelings, doesn't care what the Word said. That person's not a believer. Because when you're truly a believer, the Word written on your mind, the Word written in your heart causes you not to want to displease your father you still may want to do things that these carnal bodies were designed to do you still may want to but that's a cross you got to bear until the lord puts you in the right situation for that to be all right so should we care and try not to sin absolutely but you're going to want to be pleasing to the Lord if you're a believer. And that's why this next verse is also true. And here's how we wrap it up. Hebrews 10 and 18 says that when sins are forgiven, there is no longer any need to sacrifice for sins. I think that's the verse that used to scare me so bad when I was young. The, the verse that talks about that if you've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. I read that to be, if I know the truth and then I mess up, oh God, help me because I'm going to hell. And that's not what that's saying. That's saying that to those of you who have received the sacrifice of Jesus, you're not ever going to need another one because there can never be a greater one. Listen to this statement. Because nothing anyone could ever possibly do could be more effective than what he has already done. Hmm. So what am I going to do, Pastor? Just heed the conviction. Heed the conviction in your life. When the Holy Spirit tells you that it's wrong and you feel in your heart that it's wrong, then get on your knees and get it right. In that process, you are being made holy. You can't get holy any other way. You'll never get good enough. You'll never be able to put enough good days together. And here's what happens to people. When they spend their lives trying to get good enough, it means they're never productive for the Lord because they're so distracted. They don't ever do anything for the Lord because they spend every waking moment trying to get good enough to get to heaven. They're constantly stressed out over, I got to do something. How freeing will it be for us to realize what the Lord is saying to us in his word? Take all those rams and bulls we've been carrying around and drop them on the altar here. 
say, God, we don't need those anymore because you have written your word in my heart and my mind and you've forgiven me for my sins as far as the east is from the west. And all I have to do, Lord, is when I mess up, I'm not going to try to, I'm going to try not to, but when I do, I'm going to heed the conviction here and here and I'm going to pray here and I'm going to move on and I'm going to live a life of holiness and freedom. Be set free from bondage. Isn't that cool? I told you this was a good word. The gospel, you know what it means? You know what the word gospel means? Good news. How good is news that just constantly causes you to be afraid? I was sitting in, this, in the back room here before the service, and I had a thought, and I didn't have this in the, in the first service. So if it's a good one, then you can, you can be like, wow, cool. The Lord gave us something he didn't give those folks. <laughs> but maybe or maybe not, I don't know. All I know is this. How much does God love us? And you know where I'm going with that. He would give his only begotten son. I understand. I'm a, but how much does God love us that he would let his son die so we could go to heaven? And that sacrifice was for everybody. Get something in your head right here. God does not want anybody to go to hell. So he's not trying to figure out ways to trick us up so we will. He's not trying to burden you down so that you'll live in fear and never be successful or do what he put you on the planet to do because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. God doesn't want you in hell. He wants you in heaven. If you've asked him in your heart, you're going to go to heaven as long as you'll continue to live a holy life. How am I going to do it? Here, here, and here. That's it. That's it. Get free. Get happy. Unload the weight. Quit dealing with all that and move on and start thinking more about what God wants you to be and do rather than trying to get good enough to catch his attention. He loves you too much to throw you into hell just because you're going a mile over the speed limit if you have a car wreck. What's going on in your heart? God's going to judge us based on the condition of our heart. It's quiet. It's quiet for a couple of reasons. Somebody's asleep or somebody's really thinking. And somebody's going, wow. Man, I'm glad I heard that. Wow, that's my message. Here's what we're going to do when we pray. We're going to come down in a few minutes and we're going to kneel down and we're going to pray and we're going to say, God, continue to write your laws on my mind because that is what teaches me to hate sin. Huh? If you hate sin like you should as a believer, then you're not going to want to do it. Put your laws in my mind so that I will hate sin. Put your laws in my heart so that I will consider others. Because if I love others more than I love myself, I'm not going to sin against anybody. Put your laws in my heart. And then, God, keep me humble. Keep me on my knees so that you can forgive my sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. Keep me living in such a humble and broken way that, 
I'm covered at all times. Boy, it's going to make your life a lot easier if you let this get in, if you let this get in your heart. I'm not trying to give you a license to sin. I'm trying to give you a license to live so that you can do something every day effective. Is this your word today, anybody? Is that a word for you today? Amen. Neil's going to lead us in that song again about holiness. And you know the drill. Now it's time to deal with this word. This word that God has, has put in our heart and our minds. Now it's time to deal with that. We can't just get up and go home. Now we need to take this word and we need to apply it. It's in here. Now let's pray about it. Now let's pray about it. God, what do you want to do with this? Think it through with me real quick. Nothing's impossible for God. Jesus is enough. I could do all things through him that strengthens me by one sacrifice. Come find yourself a place and pray. Come on.